0: And now, joining me, our good friend from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, Mr. Albett. Hey, good morning, Al. Are you still digging out?
1: I, I am. I don't know how much snow we, we got. I hear, you know, one person tells me 10 inches, and one says 14 and a half, and another one says eight. And uh, I suppose it varies a lot from uh, even place to place.
0: Well, know? last and night, my husband was telling me he thinks it's about a foot of snow. And I just see now we just got a note from the Minnesota Department of transportation saying that they've lifted that no travel advisory for south central and southwest minnesota that they issued yesterday because of the blizzard conditions so things are slowly slowly improving
1: yeah about the only thing that's gone by here has been uh, the john deere tractor with the snow blower on the back so we could get our driveway out so that's been about the only thing moving around uh, in this neck of the woods it's pretty though i look at the trees and I hope the the weighted it, the snow is so heavy. I hope it's kind to the trees and we don't get a lot of broken limbs and things. But I'm sure we will. Uh, some of the trees uh, are pliable enough. I hope that they they can take that. So it's uh, it it was uh, beautiful, and I hope uh, I know people had problems. We had things canceled. Everybody had things canceled. But I hope everybody weathered well, as they say. It's uh It's nice. I went out and walked around in the snow because I'm, I don't know, because I'm an idiot sometimes, but I like walking in the snow. And one of the first things I noticed was it didn't squeak Mm. underfoot. And that happens when the temperatures fall below 14 degrees, give or take a smidgen, if you can describe small temperature change in a smidgen but when it gets that cold we get that squeakiness of snow and when it was snowing like mad it was so nice and warm really that i didn't hear that so it was funny i walked outside and walked away and i thought something's wrong here something's different i'm so used to walking at a 10 below where it was nice and squeaky all the time and seeing sundogs you know, of course, in the snow here we wouldn't see any, but boy, we have had so many sun dogs this year. And some people call them mock suns, or I heard someone, a friend, refer to them as phantom suns the other day. Um, they they come from a, a Greek word, parhelia, and that means uh, is a Greek word meaning beside the sun. And sundogs form as the sunlight is bent or refracted by ice crystals suspended in the atmosphere. In medieval times, when they had uh, many beliefs about everything, well, just like times now, I guess, where we have many beliefs about everything, but in medieval times, they believed that three bright lights, those three bright lights that make up sundog, <coughs> were interpreted as a sign of the trinity, and also as a sign of great fortune. And I think they're just signs that uh, I'm just lucky to see when I see them. I will say this. When I was a boy, a neighbor, uh, upon uh, and he's still around, so I won't uh, mention his name, but upon seeing dogs, would declare, and, you know, he was a guy around my age now, so we say the same thing over and over again. <laughs> so every time we had sun dogs, he'd say the same thing. He'd say, tonight will be as clear as a bell and cold as hell. He said okay. that every time, you know, and I, my mom would always shake her head because, well, that was a word you just weren't supposed to say in those days. Right. And But, uh, you know, I had it pretty much nailed. I do want to mention something, and if I'm wrong on this again, I uh, apologize for being wrong twice. but. On last week's show, I can hear in my mind that that echo in your... When you make a mistake or say something wrong, it echoes in your brain for a long time. And I'm pretty sure I said that the downy woodpecker was found in every state but Alaska, because I was thinking about Alaska, and I was going to talk about it. So I thought Hawaii, but said Alaska. And then I had a brain cramp that allowed me to say Alaska instead of Hawaii. Folks, I am so sorry for the bad information. I, I strive not to do that, but the downy woodpecker is found in every state but Hawaii. Every single one but Hawaii. I, I've seen them in Alaska, so I, I know they're there. And I, why do why do we do that? Think one thing and say another. I, it just doesn't seem. And I know it happens a lot when we're thinking what we're going to say next. I remember a teacher in speech class said, you got, you have to think about what you're going to say next, but don't think too far ahead, because then you'll end up saying the wrong thing and messing up your whole thing. So, And the nice thing about being a man is we often don't think at all, so it makes it pretty easy, because whatever we say is a surprise to us, too. <laughs> So anyway, I apologize. Uh, Downy woodpeckers found in every state but Hawaii. Uh, Derek Whelan. Uh, Derek's a friend from New Ulm. He showed me a picture of a snowy owl near the New Ulm High School. New Ulm has a new high school on the edge of town. and There was a snowy owl there on a post. And a perfect place for them to hunt. Roger Davidson sent me an interesting article from uh, the Washington Post and it, uh, I believe the headline was it took just three weeks to destroy 60% of the world's SAIGA population. And uh, it was from 2015, and SAIGA is an endangered antelope, and they're in Kazakhstan, and they just they tried to figure out what had happened to these guys. Their immune systems were powerless against whatever this virulent thing that was attacking them, and they sp- it was just uh, the young ones would drink milk from their mothers and get this disease and it was just killing them off and they said the grasslands were carcass littered and they were trying the scientists were trying to find out what could have triggered the microbe to become suddenly deadly in these 200,000 animals scattered across 65,000 square miles of habitat and their study was published in a journal science advances and it identified weather as a culprit. so it the article went on and talked about climate change and a number of other uh, species that were either wiped out or severely had these mass mortality events. But it was in this case, uh, there's usually there's more problems than one that come in there, but they've reached some kind of vulnerability threshold when climate changes. And so they said in all of these cases where uh, species have disappeared, uh, about a quarter of all those cases, climate played a role. But to believe in these antelope, it did. So uh, Brenda Katosik of St. Peter, just the nicest person, said, Al, listen again today. This was from last week. Always enjoy hearing your awesome stories. Well, I enjoy you listening. She said, here are a few photos I thought you might like and maybe help identify the hawks. I know the one, sharp-shinned, is in my yard once in a while. I go out and yell at it to please not eat the birdies at my feeder. Have have 100 acres of woods all around us to look for food. We are working on the Henderson Hummingbird Hurrah 2018, and it will be my pleasure to be speaking at that. That's August 18th of, of this year in beautiful Henderson, and, uh, boy, it'd be a warm thought right now, all the blooming flowers and hummingbirds and everything that'll be there. And uh, the good folks at Henderson do, uh, I can't even say how wonderful a job. It's, it's beyond words. I just, uh, I appreciate them all. Well, the photos she sent, they, she said they were all taken in her yard in the past week, two of the hawks within a quarter of a mile of my home. Uh, the hawks look to be red-tail hawks, and they're kind of pairing up now. Uh, they always do all around sometime in towards the end of January till Valentine's Day. I see them when they start kind of pairing up.
0: How do they select their mate? Is it is it kind of a ritual thing where they do the the whole showing off thing like other species, or do they have some? e-harmony or something?
1: That's what it is, e-hawk. They do that, and they all go on there, and they... um, You know, who knows? They just kind of, the young, fly around and meet another young one and say, hey, you know...
0: Whoever's available,
1: perhaps? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if that's true or not. I imagine they're probably picky. I, I don't know, and they look for... We can say about a lot of birds that the females will look for a certain color. They'll huh. look for a, a certain song. They want to hear this song. Maybe they like a vibrant color because that indicates the male has good genetics. But when it comes to a raptor, I, I, do they watch the male hunt? Do they say, "Wow, he look at him catch that bowl. He is really good. I think he might be the one for me." Maybe they do because. Um, the colors they ha they certainly have colors, and they're beautiful colors. But they don't jump out at you like blue jays, or indigo buntings, or cardinals. So I'm not sure how they actually pick a male. I'm sure they have a—they have a checklist that they probably go down. Has to be a good provider. Has to be handsome. You know, has to be nice, and has to like my friends, and all those things that they go down. So I just hope it all works out for all of them. Uh, she also sent a picture of a barred owl on her mailbox, and that's a, yeah, it's a nice perch for her to hunt from. Also, photos of blue jays, cardinals, and uh, I, seeds in the shape of a heart on the ground, which I thought was really cool. Uh, John Nelson of Good Thunder said, My daughter in Columbia, South Carolina, recorded her first Baltimore Oriole in the 16 years she has lived there at a feeder in her backyard. She says she's had several other birds uncommon at her residence. Ed Thalen, Ed is from Spirit Lake, Iowa, and just another really good person, said, I am looking at a snowy owl. When he sent this, he was. It was a couple of days ago. It's located about 30 miles south of the intersection of 740th Street and Highway 86. The last I saw it was sitting at the top of a tree about 300 yards east of the highway, and this is uh, by Jackson, Minnesota. Uh, Scott Brant of Rochester said, Al, here's a hawk in a pole shed near West Concord. Yeah, And it had it uh, showed on a beam, and it was uh, definitely an excipitor, so it was either a sharp shin or a Cooper's hawk. If I had to guess, Scott, I would say a Cooper's, but, you know, I just can't quite make out the photo well enough to to be sure what i'm saying there but it's definitely an exhibitor and i would say coopers um someone asked how many bald eagles nest in minnesota and boy you know i tried to find i i don't believe there's been a survey of nests in minnesota for quite a long time
0: who can Uh, find nests i mean nests are not easy to f- discover so how could you count them i don't understand
1: yeah you just follow the eagles around really? you can kind of tell when a pair is a, a pair and you follow them around but you know to get to everywhere you're right uh, minnesota is a big state and there's a lot of places that aren't really easy to get to uh, in um, alaska when um, the outfit that i work for up there does bald eagle surveys they do them by plane and they fly over and look for nests, and they look for eagle activity around those nests, and that's the way they do it. And it's really a huge place that we do that too, but Minnesota would be bigger. And I know there were 1,300 active nests in 2005, but we all know there's many, many more than that now. And Lori Nauman, she's with the DNR's Non-Game Wildlife Program, She said they figure there's about 9,800 pairs of uh, bald eagles in Minnesota. so We can almost say we have as many bald eagle pairs as we have lakes on our license plate, so 10,000, which is... uh, I tell everybody over and over, I was 14 before I ever saw one in Minnesota, or anywhere other than in a film strip in school or something. That, that was the first time I ever saw a bald eagle, and now everywhere I go, I see one, and, and what a great joy that is. Why were there canaries in coal mines, somebody wants to know. My mm-hmm. grandfather uh, was a coal miner, and uh, there were canaries in those mines that he was in. He started when he was 11 years old working in a coal mine. I could not even tie my shoes at age 11, and he was there get to the school bus on time, and he was working in a coal mine. Why were the canaries, what were the canaries doing in the mines? And it wasn't because they were handy with picks. I visit a loved one regularly who resides in a nursing home, and I also visit the aviary located there, and it includes beautiful singing canaries. They have a pair of canaries, a male, just a lovely singer in there. Well, a mining tradition back to 1911 was the use of canaries and coal mines to detect carbon monoxide and other toxic gases. So if you got a canary and he's singing away and all of a sudden he stops singing, becomes ill or dies, boy, you know, you, if you're a miner, you've got quite a warning there. You might want to get out of there. Uh, this practice ended in 1986 with the introductions of more modern technology.
0: So why a canary? Couldn't other birds determine as well? Or is it because of their size, they're small, that they were able to detect small amounts?
1: I would guess availability oh. probably cuz they could get canaries from uh, even in those days probably from pet stores and everything where it'd be a little harder to get a get to catch a wild bird. I get um, a nice note from somebody named Karen Wright who said a person in an apartment building says a neighbor has been feeding the crows and now there are a few other birds are the other birds afraid of the crows. And we might add uh, yeah do do crows drive down populations of small desirable backyard birds? I um, I have three crows I'm looking at now, knocking snow down from some branches up there, and I have a lot of other birds in my yard. Uh, so I guess the answer would be not usually. Uh, crows, oh, crows will kill and eat eggs, nestlings, and even adult birds if they can catch one. And uh, I talked to a lot of people about seeing a crow eating a sparrow or a junk or something but in most of the cases they didn't know whether the they'd found it on the road maybe it got hit by a car or who knows what happened they didn't know for sure if the crow had actually dispatched this bird before they ate it but it's uh crows we need to keep in mind that crows are one of many 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 animals that will eat the young and the adult's and the eggs of other birds, uh, raccoons, squirrels, foxes, hawks, owls, bullfrogs, uh, rats, mice, um, chipmunks, uh, boy, you know, and a lot of those, um, and cats, uh, all these things will eat birds, and a lot of them, especially the eggs and nestlings. So there's a vulnerability of young birds, and that's why the breeding strategy of many birds is to have multiple clutches over the course of a breeding season, have as many babies as possible.
0: You know, Al. I think this person that sent this note lives in an apartment building and was hoping to get permission, maybe, to tell the people to knock it off and stop feeding the crows because they're wanting the songbirds to come back, and they're thinking that because this person is feeding all those crows, it's preventing the songbirds from coming. So, so I think there's an under. I, I'm just projecting. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's kind of was my feeling when I I got saw that question. Okay, um, <laughs> tell them to yeah. knock it off. <laughs>
1: yeah, I. You know, I I don't know how. Bad they would be, other than taking up space. If they get on feeders or something, then they're—I mean—they're I mean, they're there. Nothing else is going to come. But otherwise, I have read a number of predator removal studies through the years, and what these are studies—they uh, create two populations. So one is a control population that hasn't been modified at all, and the second is where the predator in question has been actively removed. So they'll go into Areas, they'll be the same size, same quality habitat, and they'll remove the crows from one. And uh, then they monitor prey, or well, they would call it prey abundance, but to us it be the songbirds and their productivity. And they did. Uh, there was 42 studies on one. On one study, I read they studied 42 studies, which so seems like a pretty cool way to do a study—just study other studies. <laughs> right. And they looked at this, and they found in 81% of cases, crow removal made no impact on songbirds. Oh,
0: interesting. Well, that so, that will be you know good good um, information based on a study that they can share. Um, and maybe they won't support their their reason to want to have them removed. So basically, saying the crows are fine, leave them alone.
1: Yeah, and crows uh, they suffer from the same hazards as other birds. Their young and, and eggs are uh, at peril too from other things. And of course, they are they're killed and eaten by crows or by owls. <clears throat> so that's um, people say crows don't seem to like owls. Well, yeah, they don't. At the uh, Hormel Nature Center in Austin, a wonderful place. It's a beautiful building over there, a lot of uh, native habitat right in the city of Austin. If you're over there on February 7th at 7 p.m., I take it back February eighth I think they have the wrong date on here for once yep uh February ninth, so get it yet, I think is when they don't have the date, but I think it's February ninth. Alex Watson, a friend who is a minnesota d n r regional naturalist, will be doing the birds from the bookshelf, so he'll be um just talking about all the wonderful bird books on february twenty second Tom Pease, a folk singer songwriter. Um, through movement, he does sign language language, humor, joy. He'll create these wonderful concerts that leave you laughing and singing along. And you can warm up with Tom with a cup of hot chocolate, coffee, tea and have a cookie. They wanna R S V P And if you would call them at 437-7519, 437-7519, these are free. They just want to know how many cookies to have for everybody. So I I hope uh, some of you are in that area or going through there will stop. It's just a wonderful place. Um, got a text message. It's just amazing. You know, how many years ago if I would have said I got a text message, everybody would have looked at me strange because they said, you, you got a text message? Uh, it said you've mentioned a wildlife rehabilitation center in Roseville a number of times. What percent of the animals taken there are due to injuries from encounters with pets? Yeah, the WRC, Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, is a wonderful place that will take anything. If you've got a bunny rabbit, a baby squirrel, house sparrows, starlings, uh, indigo buntings, uh, on both ends of the likable scale, so to speak, they will take them, uh, try to rehabilitate them, and release them and very often they try to release them back in the area where they were uh, found if the people who found them want them back there, I guess. But uh, Phil Jenny, who is the executive director of the WRC, and and another fine man, said about 12% of the injuries that they treat each year are the result of domestic animal attacks. And those are usually pet cats or dogs, like we might expect. A listener said, Diane, "What is the most beautiful bird in the world?" Wow, I'm thinking of a I'm thinking of a bunch of them right now. <clears throat> Do you have the most beautiful bird in the world Karen?
0: You know, I was going to say that's kind of in the eye of the beholder, so that's going to be a little tricky because you could offend somebody no matter what you say. I I mean, there's some that are that are beholden to my heart just because they're so adorable like the little the little
1: yeah chickadees chickadees favorite. are
0: adorable, yeah, but I mean there's other ones that are certainly beautiful. I certainly love the very very colorful tropical birds the the um what do they call them cockatoos or oh yeah i yeah. mean yeah. They're, they're, i I love colors, cockatoos. so the indigo bun- bunting so and I love the goldfinches, they're bright gold colors because they're so cheery, so i it's really i i think that's so subjective i mean some people might even say that the the turkey vulture is is beautiful in their oh, mind.
1: I- I think I don't think the, so. one but... of the most beautiful birds in the world is a turkey vulture. I just love them. Yeah. <laughs> I spoke at the uh, on Sunday at the Sack Zim Bog fundraiser, and um, trying to set aside a few acres of land up in the Sack Zim Bog, maybe the most famous birding place in Minnesota. I'm I'm sure it's the most famous. And uh, I talked about how I, I think that turkey vultures are just incredibly beautiful birds and the good work they do by cleaning our roads. But yeah, you're right on what is <clears throat> what is the most beautiful bird. Because we don't run a contest. There's no most uh, Miss Bird Contest or Mister Bird Contest. We just don't run a contest, so we can't say, well, this one is a the winner of uh, three world championships. I think it is the one you're looking at. So when you look out through binoculars or through your window and you see a bird, that is the most beautiful bird in the world because beauty is in the eye of the bird looker, so I think. Uh, How much does a deer have to eat in winter? And it would depend upon the size of the animal, how much body fat the deer had managed to accumulate, they accumulate a lot of body fat around here when abundant acorns. They're really good for that. And also the severity of the winter. Extreme cold and deep snow really create hardships for deer and for everything else, pretty much. So look for deer activity on the south-facing slopes and in conifer stands that shield deer from winds and snow. I'd suspect a deer would need 3 to 10 pounds of winter browse per day to stay warm. And for those folks who um, like a landscape yard or a garden, <laughs> you will know that arborvitae becomes a, a Salad. something that they eat. I tried a couple needles once, just chewed them to see what that was like. Ugh.
0: They're not that good, no. And that's the thing, anything that they could say it's deer-resistant or deer-proof or something, but nothing ever is. I mean, if you're hungry enough, you'll eat anything. And that's what I've learned as a gardener. There's nothing that's that's bulletproof in terms of not having an animal. Some are more likely to deter them, but, I mean, if they were hungry enough, they'd even eat the the thorn bushes.
1: Yeah, and uh, yeah, just think how hungry you have to be to eat arborvitae, and I know a friend always says, just think how hungry you have to be to eat lutefisk, which
0: yeah, no know, kidding,
1: <laughs> be kind of the same thing. But I think I'd rather eat lutefisk than uh, arborvitae.
0: See, now as a vegetarian, I'd eat the arborvitae.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's and you know, with a little French dressing, some good French dressing, and croutons, and maybe sunflower seeds, and uh, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good salad. it make greens.
0: Know. It's kind of like kale that used to be the, the poor man's greens and now they're supposed to, supposedly everybody thinks they're just fancy because they're supposedly so nutritious, etc. Even this, you know, when the Vikings were playing, I bet my son, because I was pretty sure the Vikings weren't going to win, I said, if the Vikings win, this is when it was probably 38 to 7, if the Vikings win, I said, I'll eat a hamburger. And my sons were just shocked because I haven't eaten meat in over <laughs> 43 years. So, um, wow. I, I wouldn't have made that bet had I not been pretty certain. And I think, I don't remember what my son said. So, anyway, at least I didn't have to to break down and eat a hamburger. So, I'm glad.
1: My, my wife and I raised kale for more years and we count, going way back to our first married years. And a lot of people would come over and just say, what is that? Oh, really? <laughs> it's like, yeah, What is that weird they say stuff? They kale. And they say, Oh, okay. They didn't even ask what it was for, usually. They just said, oh, All right. Yeah, kale.
0: Did they eat it? Because a lot of people, you know, don't care for it because it's got a little bit of a bitter flavor sometimes.
1: Yeah, um, I know Gail would whip it up sometimes for people, but I I don't know how many compliments she ever got oh. on it. And she's she's <laughs> a good cook, but yeah. I don't think anybody said that was delicious kale. Really, I got to <laughs> get that recipe from you. So I don't think that happened. I hope, speaking of recipes, I hope everybody will come to the cafe today where the food chain is missing a few links. Uh, There's parking available with all the snow, and we have a gigantic mountain of snow going right down the middle of Main Street. So it's easy. uh, You won't be able to see the line on the road, but you'll be able to tell on which side of the road you're driving. The special is always the heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage and now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. I've, um, I've had some surgeries recently. Everybody's fighting a battle. But I read part of a book each night before falling asleep. because I try to read a pleasant passage before Morpheus over- overcomes me in the hopes it will lead to pleasant dreams. The other night that approach didn't work i dreamed about having another surgery and in the dream i met the surgeon just before the operation you know they always come in and talk to you and say hi i'll be your surgeon and I said to him, I suppose you've done this operation many times, <laughs> and he said, no, but I've always wanted to try it. Oh, <laughs> it was a nightmare that brought a smile to my dream world, and the next day, I was in the barber shop, and we are just talking about things, and a friend, Chuck Stevens, who lives in Albert Lee, was leaving the shop, and I said, Chuck, have a good day. It's a traditional wish, and I was sincere. I might as well, said Chuck. It doesn't cost any more than the other kind. Wise words from uh, both an attitudinal and a financial perspective. A friend that was in the barber chair complained about the weather, and I think that is a perfectly good use of time because complaining about the weather keeps us from complaining about everything else, and it doesn't hurt the weather's feelings one bit. Remember, folks, Heartland as well. We're trying to pass, Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And again, Downy woodpeckers are in Alaska. They're not in Hawaii. And sorry for just. I hope nobody lost a thing on Jeopardy or something because <laughs> of that. I just feel guilty now about that.
0: Yeah, you'll be correcting that one for the rest of your life.
1: I will indeed. That's the sad part. Yes.
0: Well, thanks, Al. Great. Always great to chat with you. We'll be back with you next Tuesday.
1: Very good. Thanks, Karen. Uh, Have a wonderful day.
0: Thanks. Bye-bye.